Hey everybody, it's Doug Schaefer again from Schaefer Vineyards with a new episode of The Taste. It's good to be back. Things have been busy here with Harvest and we haven't had a chance to schedule new guests or even to sit down and have a chat until today. So with all the grapes picked and all the new wines put away in barrels, it's good to be back into our little podcast studio. And I'm excited to talk to our guest today. It's always fun to talk with people who are running a family winery. And here on this podcast, we've had so far sisters with the Spotswood episode, a brother and sister with the Trefethens, a mother and daughter team with the Staglins, and today we have a mother and son. And they've been making great wines for a long time. We have a lot to get into today, so let's get started. Hey everybody, Doug Schaefer with another episode of The Taste. We have a fun show today. I have two guests on at the same time and it's it's really kind of cool because this combination is something exactly that happened in my life with my father, uh, a vineyard winery run by a parent and child, um, which I know well. But we welcome Delia Villadere and her son Alan of Villadere Winery up on Howell Mountain, God's country. Hi guys, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You bet. Hey, Dad. Good morning. Delia, I've known you for a long time. Alan, our paths are just starting to cross here and there, which has been fun. But Quite, Delia, quite literally. I see you driving uh, your FJ40 pretty much every day. <laughs> you know, I, I made a mistake getting that car. Everybody knows me, so I, I, have, to, I have to really behave on the road. I can't, no, no road rage for me. But uh, Delia... <laughs> My best memories of you is whenever I'd run into you, you'd be coming back from some trip uh, out of country overseas with the export group, and you'd grab me and say, oh, Doug, your dad, your dad and I, we always just dance wherever we are. So, you know, that's, that's my best memory about you and my dad, dancing around the world. And that's my best memory of your dad, his sense of humor, and yes, he's a fantastic dancer. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't get that gene, unfortunately, so uh, I'm glad you danced with him and not me. But super to have you both on. There's so many stories wrapped up in the Via Dare story. Delia, there's yours. There's your folks. Alan, there's yours. We're going to make our way through all of it. Alan, I'm sorry to start off. We're going to start with your mom, so bear with us for a bit, hey? (laughs) Please. So Delia, um, where it all started? Where'd you come from? Where, Where do you start? Where were you born? I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina, but I might as well have come from Mars. Um, (laughs) I actually am first generation born in Argentina because my parents, both European, met there. And uh, the rest is history. My father was a diplomat, so I learned in this country that I am literally a diplomat's brat. Uh, because we moved so many times and I lived and traveled to so many countries. Since I was six years old, I was taken traveling. So, yes, it's true, you were always seeing me coming and going because in the first days of the winery, I was traveling every other week of the year. That's 192 days. Wow. That's how I racked a million and a half <laughs> uh, flying miles. So as a kid, uh, I know I've got notes you were in Lebanon, Switzerland, France, um, any, any place else growing up? Well, I went to a German boarding school, and okay. then I went to college in Paris. Um, 
my parents have properties a little bit everywhere. And I managed to get by with six languages, all of which I speak with a, with a little bit of an accent because I mix them all. That's amazing. Well, because I know I was talking to you, about you to Elias just a minute ago. So, oh, yeah, Delia is great. Whenever I see you, all we do is start talking Spanish. It's great. So um, he's never heard you speak English. It's pretty cute. Um, so growing up, <laughs> growing up in the house, um, was wine around? When did that all happen? It happened growing up because, uh, like I said, my parents were European. So the way of um, upbringing, it's wine is always part of the food, uh, part of the table. So uh, if you wanted to try it, there was never a question. Uh, you needed to be old enough to be at the table to hold conversation. Uh, and after that, it was simply, you want to try this, you want to try that. It was never a question of you need to be of age. Um, it was a big uh, complication when I brought my kids as toddlers to the United States and I intended to uh, raise them the same way I grew up, I had to have a little bit of a precaution, a caveat. I would always tell my kids in the elementary school, whatever we do at home, don't tell anybody because <laughs> otherwise mom is going to be put on jail, in jail. So what goes on at home stays at home. I, got, I like that. It stays at home because I would let my kids try wines uh, because I love, I always love wine, but I... I'm inquisitive about everything and anything, so I, my inspiration was find out why, find out, find out what makes this wine taste the way it tastes. And that was not an invitation to drink early on, it was an invitation to be inquisitive right. about things. Good point. So. Before heading to the States, you were in school in Paris, and you got a degree in logic and pure Philosophy. Philosophy? Yeah, philosophy. Okay, because I've got a note saying pure mathematics. Was that something you got a degree in, too? Yes, Mike, what you call a concentration or a major is logic and pure mathematics, but the degree is the PhD. Okay. Fantastic. So, so, doctorate. Then, so then, so then you've got three kids. It's 1982. Four. Four. <laughs> how did how yes. how did you get to the United States? How did that happen? My brother got accepted to uh, a PhD program at MIT, and at that time, it was just a perfect timing for me. I was recently divorced and had the three kids in tow at that time. And I asked my dad, if you give me room and board for three years, I'll get myself there. And he says, you haven't even applied to MIT. Oh, but I'm going to get in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's always been my philosophy in life. I visualize it and I get it done. It, and I did get in. And actually, I blasted my GMAT. Um, so it was interesting because without 
the help of my brother helping with the kids, um, it would not have been possible. But I moved everybody to MIT. They do take blondes sometimes. And um, I managed to get a degree in finance this time, a real working degree. Right. So when you finished up at MIT, what, what happened then? We constantly kept coming to Napa because my brother liked uh, the Berkeley lab more than the MIT lab. He's an engineer in electronics, so he was working for IBM at that time. So that's we kept coming to Napa, and I met uh, a lot of people in Napa wine business. And it was um, kind of very circuitous at that time that a friend of a friend of a friend wanted my dad to uh, invest in a beautiful place and put all the money and they were going to create a winery and a vineyard and I said dad if you're putting all the money I can do it (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah oh boy I want to hear this conversation yeah you can do it and what did he say to you (laughs) he said to me after all the money I poured into your education all you want to become is a farmer Yeah, but being a farmer's tough. He didn't know that, did he? He didn't know that, and till the day he died, I was always the farmer. <laughs> Anyone that asks, what is it that your daughter does in the States exactly? Oh, she's a farmer. An over-educated farmer, but I'm, I'm still a farmer. There you go. So what, what year are we talking about? So you started, so basically he, he let you do it, right? 84? 84. Yeah, he let me do it. It took me forever to figure out um, how the regulations work. Uh, but I put together the contract for the land, the financing with my dad as a backup. But I took a loan a margin loan. I mean, I I had fun, and I put together a plan to pay off the note because that was also very important. He would not let me even start without having a plan and without having a precise date when he was coming off the note. So... I put a 10-year plan, and I paid him in seven. So you put a, you put a plan together. with you got, a, you got a loan. And then what about actually, yep. what about doing the work and planting it? Because there was no vineyard, right? It was all... No, there was of, nothing. There was rock and poison oak. <laughs> so, so here <laughs> you are. my kids discover. From MIT. Yeah, we are, and we all have learned that one. But MIT, never planted a grapevine. What did you do? Who helped you out? Oh, I... That was easy. I got the best and foremost consultants from all over the world. That I knew. Of all the vineyards that I liked, I brought Danny Schuster from New Zealand, who was an expert in organic vineyard hillside planting. That helped David Abreu. I got uh, Michel Roland, that at that time wasn't even famous. It was just a friend of us. <laughs> uh, I brought Jean-Claude Berouet from Petrus. 
to see what do I plant, how do I plant it. Um, I brought a, the best and foremost group of friends that were also experts in their field to diagram a vineyard estate in the same layout of a first growth Bordeaux. But that wasn't done at that time. And so I came to be the crazy lady in the hillside. No, you weren't the crazy lady on the hillside. You were, you're that, you're that, you're that, you're that crazy Argentinian on the hillside. That's what you were. Um, no, it was great. So you got the vineyard planted. When was your, uh, when was your first harvest? My first, uh, well, I couldn't plant the vineyard all at once uh, because it was so steep and I planted in phases. Like everything I did, I never stopped. I divided in little pieces, and every year I would do another piece. My very first commercial wine offering was 89. But I didn't really finish planting the vineyard until 1994. It took me almost 10 years. So, like I used to say, this is a dynamite vineyard because... A huge part of it was planted with the help of dynamite at the time that they would let you use it. Yeah, they, I don't think they. I think it's. I don't think they let you use it anymore, do they? No, they yeah. don't let you use it anymore. So Alan has to jackhammer when we're replanting. <laughs> oh, Alan, that's a bummer. Uh, too bad. The dynamite <laughs> thing is kind of fun in a dangerous kind of way. So, but it is. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so your first vintage is 89, you said. And then were you, stud- you studied at Davis, too? You were doing that at the same time? Oh, yeah, at the same time, because I wanted to know that my wonderful consultants were telling me uh, the right thing. You know, how would I know? So I would put a lot of questions and a lot of, um, a lot of friends' tastings and a lot of ideas together together. Um, Funnily, I started at Rambauer because I didn't have the winery built yet with Jean-Claude Moet, uh, with um, Christian Moex, sorry, uh, Christian Moex, and that was the connection with Jean-Claude uh, okay. Berway, his winemaker, and we started, uh, he was in one floor and I was on the other floor. And we were the only ones that spoke French. Um, so it was interesting that uh, Christian also wanted to attend Davis. So many times we were at the extension classes together, making kind of advances into what is done. Remember when they were doing the uh, Davis extension classes with all the professor presenting everything that they were studying and putting their hands on. It was always exciting to see what was new, what was happening, right. what is the new the new contraption that they come up with, um, the new method of doing this or doing that. Um, remember in 86, 87, 88, 
we were doing, uh, you know, soutirage. We were doing it by the skeeves, um, and not it would it was not for the faint of heart or the feeble of of back composition. It it was taking us forever. Um, today, Alan puts a little a little pop in, gets it done. One person does it all. Uh, it it was it was completely different, and it was based in two hundred years of technology that the French never had at that time. Right. It was right. tradition. No, it's but Set. technology has changed changed a lot of it, and uh, you know for the better in many cases. But it's it's definitely more efficient. Uh, it's more efficient. Yeah. Quick question: Going back to planting the vineyard, what was your because I never talked to you about this. I, I know you, I think you had Cabernet and Cabernet Franc. Was that, was that your focus? Was that your vision when you planted the vineyard? Those grapes? I planted all, I wanted to plant all the Bordeaux varieties, but everybody, uh, including Michel Roland and Jean-Claude, pushed me against planting Merlot in this vineyard because this uh, Merlot is very finicky. So I have Cabernet, Cabernet Franc, and uh, Petit Verdot. Yes. I have Petit Verdot in the most rocky uh, and right in front of my house. So I could always see those babies cry for everything, for <laughs> lack of water, lack of soil, lack of nutrients. They always look terrible, but they give fantastic grapes. That's true. That's what usually happens. Okay. I was curious about how that started out. So when you first started, your first releases, were they... My first release was only Viader. For the first 11 years, it was always a blend of Cabernet and Cabernet Franc. And I didn't know it at that time until we became best friends that I, I, the high proportion of Cabernet Franc in the blend, sometimes 50%, sometimes 45%, it was very similar to what uh, Dalla Valle Maya was made of. And it was only after... And, and just because I love that wine, that I knew why. There you go. I love Cabernet Franc. <laughs> there you go. So before we get to Alan, I got to ask you one thing. So you're, you're, you've got four kids. You're planting a vineyard, starting to make wine, selling wine, traveling. Four kids up and down all day long, to back and forth to school and activities. Delia, how did you do it? What was the secret? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when did I manage to sleep, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> but I think uh, I had a lot of good help. Um, my biggest helper is now my um, manager of shipping and quality control. He used to be my babysitter. But um, <laughs> she's my best, I mean, she's my best success story, Uh Somebody with a lot of common sense that is not afraid of going and learning a new skill. And she's fantastic. So without her, her sister, her brother, her cousin helping me with the kids, it would not have been possible because, you know, sports, driving to two different ends of the Napa Valley at the same time, 
and traveling and being the only one putting food on the table, it, it would not have been possible. Right, right. That's well, that's that's great. That's great. You had that help. It's great that she's she's still with you. That's pretty cool. All right, well, let's jump to Alan. Um, Alan, so you grew up on the vineyard on Howe Mountain. What was that like? What was the uh, the the greatest front and backyard a little boy that loves outdoors could ask for? <laughs> it's uh, I back up here. Our property backs up to thousands of acres of you know just wild forest. Um, beautiful land. So I was able to get out and get, get my hands dirty. And then, so you growing up elementary school, St. Helena, St. Helena high school. Mm -hmm. Was that, was that your place? That was, well, it was my place too, but I won't tell you when I graduated. It was a long time (laughs) ago, (laughs) but, uh, how about, uh, activities, sports as a kid, anything, anything, uh, uh, unique, you know, Grew up playing soccer, then did wrestling in high school, and I continue, uh, you know, a lot of outdoor kind of extracurricular activities. I did martial arts growing up, too, and love that. Neat. I love being active. Good, good. And did she have you working in the vineyards on the weekends, pulling rocks out and all that stuff? All the time. Yeah. uh, As early as I could hold a shovel, I was out there. I remember our first harvest at Rumbauer, I was helping... uh, I think I was being paid a quarter an hour. I think, you know, I'm glad I get paid a little bit more than that these days, but uh, still, still moving rocks and digging holes in in uh, in the dirt here. So yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I really gravitated towards the vineyard side of it. Um, I loved seeing the tractors work. I loved just uh, following David Abrams guys and and our our crews here doing all the little work and ended up kind of working my way up and, you know, learning every aspect of it. I have a lot of respect for the farm workers and the whole thing that goes into a bottle of wine. Right. Right. So, and I'm, I'm assuming you grew up with wine in the house. I'm sure that will do. You yep. already mentioned that. So, um, so that would education, that, yeah, <laughs> education and curiosity for sure. Yep. Um, no, it was great. She always, she always kind of wrapped it with a lesson, uh, terroir lesson. So, certain characteristics she would kind of try to pull pull out of the wine uh, she would ask me if I taste any fruit okay what kind of fruit what kind of flavors uh, what kind of smells and then she'd go in to the back end and say okay because of this exposure and this type of soil or lack of soil or you know climate sure. so oh super great education we did it all over mm-hmm. the world so yeah, yeah. Um, the kids had the opportunity to travel as much as I did um, because I think that it helps you be centered and it helps you also appreciate how good you have it because you get to compare and contrast and you come home and you appreciate what you have. That's true. Instead of taking it for granted. So, Alan, after high school, what happened? What was your next next thing? Uh, so I went uh, over to Sonoma County, did a viticulture program, uh, got into some winemaking, uh, wanted to eventually kind of run vineyards, uh, do a, like a vineyard you know, labor contractor or something like that. Right. And then, uh, my mom called me looking for some help with the vineyard here. 
and uh, I accepted a position as vineyard manager. So this was uh, about 20 years ago, and I haven't found a reason to leave yet. Wow. <laughs> wow. Good for you. At, at that time, I had a vineyard in Italy. Oh, so really? That was he, right. Was he? In 99, I purchased a piece of land in Tuscany, and I was developing a vineyard in Italy. My first crop was 2003, so the idea was that I would take care of Italy, and he would take care of Napa. And I was flying around in the month of September without sleep for four weeks. Harvest there and harvest here at the same time. I don't know. I don't know if that works. That would be probably be really tough. <laughs> well, I managed for seven years. <laughs> oh, dear, you're the, but you're the only one who can do that. The rest of us don't have the same energy you do. So I've got to figure out what you're eating or drinking and get some of that. <laughs> So um, Red wine and cheese. Red wine and cheese. So, Alan, so you're doing the vineyards for the last 20 years. Um, and I think, you, did you, uh, you worked other places too, didn't I think you went to Argentina. Was that for a harvest or a... Yeah, I worked down in Argentina, fell in love with Malbec, but I was already getting involved with the blends here as a, as a bystander. Um, I was invited uh, to, you know, part of the, the tasting panel, if you will. And I just loved tasting the wines and tasting the finished product. I was very disconnected. I was just the farmer. And then once harvest was done, I was on vacation. Right. You know, or I was I was traveling and, and just presenting the wine somewhere. I didn't really have too much of a connection with the finished product. Um, and then a few years into it, just my nature, I wanted to get involved with things. And, you know, I can't just sit around and be bored. Um, so I, I started asking around, how can I help? And as things grew and... We had more wines. I had to get involved. I started driving forklifts, and I started doing pump overs, and I started doing night shifts, and started doing rackings. And that's when uh, I decided to go to Argentina to kind of see just only winemaking and really get involved on that side heavy and, and just dig deep and learn a little bit more. Um, and I came back changed. Uh, huh. Loved loved wines, loved the whole cycle of, you know, the growing of it, but also the making of it. And I felt like if I wasn't doing both, it was incomplete and I was kind of doing a disservice. So, um, to be a better farmer, I wanted to be winemaker, to be a better winemaker, I needed to be the farmer. So, um, starting in 2006, my mom, uh, allowed me, uh, to kind of do more of the day-to-day -day operations and the winemaking and, been doing it ever since, doing uh, production, vineyard, winemaking. Um, we do the blends together, and I, I do all the, the, the heavy lifting and the moving of the barrels and all that kind of fun stuff. But um, So I get my hands dirty, but I also get to do the wines. So. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, so before you took over as winemaker, Delia, you were a winemaker, correct, for the whole time? Correct, but yeah. we always had, even when Alan was winemaker, I brought Michel Roland, um, what I called uh, Harvard University of One, uh, because I didn't want Alan to have a close palate. I wanted to have a world palate. The wine that we make has to stand with the best of the world. And that was kind of uh, the three of us getting together to do the fun part, which is the blending, the mm -hmm. final blending. And I've always told Michelle, 
um, we need to keep the style. It's not a, a Roland style. It's not a Delia style. It's not an Allen style. It's what the site will give, will dictate. And it has to be consistent. It has to be able to stand with the best of the world. Now, the caveat is if something doesn't go well, you're fired. And if something goes very well, all the credit is my son's. There you go. <laughs> that job security in the family business, it's a, it's a treacherous, treacherous path, I tell you. So, but, <laughs> so Alan, Alan, you're still, so you're doing the winemaker. Are you still overseeing all the vineyards too? Yes. Yep. Wow. So you're busy. You're a busy guy. Um, I, I like it that way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think it's in your uh, your DNA for sure. Um, how's it been? So obviously it's, it's been working well. Do you guys have a pretty shared vision? You do what you talked about, or do sometimes you have disagreements or different ways to go? How's that work out <laughs> without, without, you know, uh, getting too personal? No, without getting too personal. No, we have sometimes disagreements, but there are, kind of compromises, we work out a compromise. Um, there are differences in taste sometimes when we decide when a wine is ready uh, to, you know, when it's time to pick. Sometimes we have some minor disagreements, but we always find a compromise. Um, I am less inclined to use as much new oak. Uh, Alan loves his oak. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, we always find a comfortable agreement or compromise. Uh, Sometimes I come up with very last minute with kind of this look in my eyes that he fears and it's like, (laughs) <laughs> just a half of a percent. I think just a half of a percent in the blend will really make it perfect. And he's like, oh, no, mom, again. So he has to rack everything again. But those are rare instances. And it's just, I'm a perfectionist by, at heart. And, you know, it's never perfect until it's perfect. And it will never be perfect, perfect. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, oh, that's, that's my problem. Well, it's the but, back But you got to understand that, uh, you know, my education in wine started very early and it started with my mom as the teacher. Sure. So she shared with me the wines that she considered, you know, the benchmarks and the epic one, wines of, of the region. And those are what I consider, you know, the top marks as well. So um, we have very similar palettes. I mean, there are obviously differences, um, but they're very nuanced yeah no i think you guys have worked it out really well i i had a alan i had a little bit easier than you did because my dad was never a true winemaker he was a grape grower and a good one but uh it boy those those uh those discussions and decisions on when to pick or not to pick i are vivid in my memory um because he was a grower he was like Hey man, they're, they're 23 and a half. Let's go. And Lias and I are like, no, we can't. And he says, what's, what's, and basically it was kind of like, what's wrong with you guys? I mean, it was, um, in various degrees of volume and, uh, intensity, but, uh, we figured it out. And, uh, cause we were, well, that was in the time we were realizing we had to push ripeness to get better flavors. So it's interesting. 
Well, I've had quite a few of your wines, and I have to say you have figured it out. So, Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're doing thank something you. right. Hey, I came across something else. In addition to growing grapes and making wine, you, Alan, being busy, you're a member of the Napa County Sheriff's Volunteer Search and Rescue Team, right? And Napa County yeah. Deer Park Volunteer Fire Department. Tell me yeah. about that experience, and also it's inspired you to make a, a different wine, a new wine brand. So tell us all about that. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I get the same question all the time as my mom. I'm, how do you have the time for it? And it's just you you use your time wisely. I'm always productive. I'm always doing something. And if I'm in the middle of a disaster, uh, I can't sit back and uh, do nothing. So I found a way to, to get involved and uh, about five years ago joined the, the sheriff's search and rescue team and you know we we've done fire evacuations we've done you know missing persons we've done a few other things lost hikers um yeah and you know tremendous amount of training uh, involved but mm-hmm. you know you know not only uh navigation and all that but also medical training so it's really helped me and empowered me and given me the confidence when things go crazy and people get injured and you know events happen out of your control you you just go into kind of this i don't know mental like calm just i know the steps i'm going to go through this that and that and not going to panic and Mm -hmm. um you know and and then in uh, 2020 where we had all these fires um uh, that directly hit our property i found myself again in kind of a helpless situation and you know not only our property but our neighbors our community here in Deer Park right uh, took a pretty big hit so um, first thing I did was call up uh, the the chief here at station 21 and say how can I help how can I get involved and next thing I knew I was uh, (laughs) strapped onto a treadmill and with you know a (laughs) heart monitor seeing if I was gonna you know be athletic enough to join the the academy and then I was you know in the academy and you know they worked around your schedule so it was nights and weekends and um you know made it happen so and that was uh that was to become a volunteer fire fireman right yeah yeah that's great and then and but you're doing more you're making some wine to raise money is that right so I, I wanted to make my own wine, and I wanted it to have some sort of purpose. Uh, you know, there's so many just brands out there just for the purpose of making wine, and, and I didn't want to just get lost in that. So um, I really wanted to have something, some, you know, teeth to bite into and <laughs> get in the market and right. actually do something with it. So um, I love and very passionate about first responders and you know the the role that they play in our communities and you know i've seen some pretty serious uh fire wildfires and devastations and stuff Uh, i've been all over california various missions and different things here and there so um i've seen a lot of stuff that you know they do selflessly and um this this wine i make Pinot Noir from, you know, Sonoma Coast. I make a Syrah from Coombsville. Uh, I make some Rosé as well. And um, it's great wines. They're single vineyards. You know, I, I love the terroir aspect. They're terroir-driven wines. But um, beyond that, uh, portions of, you know, the money that I make, I give back to organizations like, you know, Salvation Army. I give them back to uh, 
the Children's uh, First Responders Foundation that gives money to families that lose, uh, you know, somebody in, a, in the line of duty and gives them scholarships to continue um, when their uh, father or mother uh, is no longer around. So um, I also donate to the local uh, search and rescue and so local stations. I mean, I, I'm able to do something, um, you know, not only physically, but also financially. So oh, That's great. There and is an intent the wine is called intentus. It's intentus, yeah, so right? In, yeah. Yeah, it's, in Latin it means intention, so I had to have, you know, I love an it. intention and a purpose well, and, behind it. And while we're on it, by the way, congratulations. It's it's so neat you're doing that. Um, just before we, before we forget, so if people want to get these in, intentus wines, where do they go? Would they go to the Viadere website or is there somewhere else? No, I have a small website. Okay. It's, it's all separate. Uh, okay. wanted to keep it. Sure, that makes, that <laughs> as makes sense. As possible. Okay, well, good. So, well, it's well, tiny. It's like three barrels here, three barrels there. So. Yeah, but it, it all adds up, man. Very, yeah. very cool. <laughs> um, hey, mom, you got to be proud of this kid. What do you think? Totally. Yeah. I'm very proud of all my kids, but I'm, I'm really, really proud of their achievements and their their thinking that goes, their heart, their their their. Kind of, I'm I'm very very proud, Mom. You've done you've done a wonderful job, but uh, you know we skipped over some of the basics about Via Dare. Tell us a little bit about your spot up on Halman. It's gorgeous, but uh, you know the property, the soil, you know, what the wines are like coming off that property. Can you guys, one or both of you, chime in on that one? Well, it's it's a hillside, yes, um, and. Even it's a ski slope. It's, it's also a ski slope. Uh, it's a double diamond ski slope. And I put the vines so you can hold on to them and <laughs> not end <Yeah>. up <laughs> down at the bottom. Um, it has the same, the same grade, 32% of those slopes in San Francisco. Yeah, it's, it's, it was planted. I mean, my mom was way ahead of her time, very innovative. I mean copying a lot of the things that she saw in Europe and, and applying it here. Um, very steep hillsides were not very common. And she also wanted to do some high density planting. So, I mean, I, I walked into this, you know, as an adult, but just, I can't even imagine um, the amount of work this was to put in. Um, you know, I've I've put in a few vines here with jackhammers, but I couldn't imagine putting in all like 50,000. Um, well, and the but the, this the is rose, super high density planting up and down. I mean, yeah, they go straight up and down so because yeah. back then, East, Delia, West we were plantation. Yeah, we were planting hillsides, but you know, Dad, you know, we did the old terrace thing. Terraces, 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 and you guys did that, you know, top to bottom, which is actually we're learning now is the way to go when you can do it. Delia, how'd you how'd you figure that one out? Because you were way ahead well, of your I time. I figured that one out. I actually <laughs> call called the USDA, uh, the, de the Department of um, Where Your Tax Dollars Go, uh, to come and do a, a, a trial because everybody was saying erosion, 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 but it, it really depends on the slope and the way you slope. Um, I planted east-west, but my slope is more south-north. So right. by putting the the vines so close together and then having 
cover crop in between. I'm maintaining much more soil here at the top of the mountain that I it would have leaving it naturally empty with nothing yeah. to hold it. Yeah, I'm seeing that. Uh, you know, I've had so many meetings After with this uh, rain. R- yeah. RCD and, and NRCS. I mean, I'm we're we're active in Napa Green and Napa Green Land, and you know the the stormwater regulations that are coming down from the state level. Um, so we've been doing a lot of research and a lot of farm planning here. And to be honest, I mean, we have had very little um, thing. You know, very little changes needed to our current practices we are uh, non-till all of our avenues have always been uh you know Mm -hmm. covered in straw and we've always done seed and we've always done water bars Uh, i'm actually you know very very happy that you know this is something that i have always experienced and always learned and you know there's nothing new that i had to to learn but a lot of vineyards are uh, having to adapt and change completely their mindset of how to farm, you know, with erosion in mind. And I've, since day one, I've always had erosion in mind. And mm-hmm. uh, we've been very good, and we've been following, you know, very closely. And, you know, we've we've done very well. We've, you know, this last rain event, uh, the vineyard, the original vineyard, I mean, it's perfect. Held up. Great. That was a good Yeah, there's nothing. Held up great, because if you... I think we have six to eight inches of topsoil max. I don't want it anywhere else than where it is. Yeah. I need it. You know, <laughs> we, learned, we learned that one here, too. Early days, Dad, we weren't, God, it's back in the 70s. Yeah, some, he, his brand-new hillside vineyard, all those soil, most of the soil washed the bottom. We had, to, we had to dig it up and put in trucks and bring it back to the top of the hill. And that's just so much extra work. <laughs> it's a lot of extra work, <laughs> trust me. And I was in high school at the time, so you know what I was doing every weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, well, good. And, uh, yeah, shallow soil, so small berries, great concentration, hillside fruit. Yeah, yes. and, and the, the vines are always manicured. I mean, Bonsai. we have very small canopies. Uh, I'm, I have a bunch of... Uh, sensors for water stress and you know irrigation practices and stuff are all precise I mm-hmm. do block by block I, you know it's a very small property and I have so many different blocks I have like 60 blocks everything's double polyed and you know we we've worked really hard on being very efficient with our water yeah um, so that's great good good to hear and another question I had I hadn't heard about this deal yeah uh, once in a while you guys make a some wines under the Dare brand. What's that all about? Am I right on that one? Yep. Dare, a part of Via Dare. Ah, that was you. I, used, I used to make a dance with it. I, uh, missed, I missed that one. It, 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 no, it's <laughs> funny because uh, <laughs> a lot of people <laughs> pronounce it in America Viator, and my poor kids had to do with Star Trek all their lives in high school. Um, but it's via dare if you dare. Got it. So Got it. our our it's kind of our second label where we allow ourselves fun and Alan can make anything under that label. Oh fun. Uh, yeah, he so can make the, and explore different varieties. Yeah. The whole concept was to do you know, showcase these single varieties and, and we're Known more for the Dare Cabernet Franc, huh. um, but we've made 
a few different other varieties, Tempranillo. Uh, we've done a Cabernet Sauvignon. We do Syrah, Malbec. So um, it's really where we can focus 100% varietal. Um, the estate wines here from Viadere are all blends, and they're all unique characters. Uh, you know, the Viadere is Cabernet with Cabernet Franc. The V is Petit Verdot with Cabernet. Uh, the Black Label is Cabernet with Syrah and a few other, uh, like Malbec and uh, Cabernet Franc. But, uh, and then the Omenaje is Malbec with Cabernet. But the Dare really is where we focus and, and really highlight you know, what the best is from that particular varietal. That's neat. It's That's also neat. more of a fun thing because it's, it, our wines tend to age very well and people tend to wait till that special occasion. There it's really for every occasion. It's, it's set up to be a fun, very exciting uh, wine where we highlight the specific characteristics, for example, Cabernet Franc, which is our favorite, that more of the elegance, more of the giving you subtle nuances without attacking your palate in mm -hmm. certain ways. Great. And it can be drunk with anything. Oh, cool. So help me. So and then getting back to the Via Dare label brand, what, what wines are you guys offering under the, the main brand these days? Like Alan said, we have four main blends. Okay. Uh, Via Dare continues to be the more of the Bordeaux classic style of wine, Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc, with a high proportion of Cabernet Franc. Um, then the V, it was something I did as a winemaker just to prove I could do it. Um, Petit Verdot can be super bold. Uh, that's very, very well in our with our West exposure. It needs a lot of heat and uh, to ripen, but it has very high natural acidity. So how you make that square peg fit a round hole, it's, um, it's a little bit of a challenge winemaking, but it's one of the ones that we're known for. It's uh, Petit Verdot, big proportion. Sometimes we've done 92% Petit Verdot and 7% Cabernet Sauvignon. And I always say we put the Cabernet Sauvignon to make it drinkable because mm -hmm. a Petit Verdot can be very, not only long aging, but very bold. Uh, but we make it bold in the sense that you would make a kind of dark chocolate bold. So... It's it's an interesting wine uh, to to try, and then um, Alan came up with his own blend. With I call it the next gen blend, <laughs> um, because he, we always come to the compromise. He wanted to make something where he could put his mark, and I said, "Well, make your own thing." <laughs> <laughs> and, and his sister came up because he was blending Cabernet and Syrah, and it was really pretty inky in color. He says, well, call it Black Label, Viadere Black Label. 
And then he added a little bit of Malbec and a little bit of Cabernet Franc in the kitchen sink. But <laughs> it, it's really, <laughs> it's really his creation, and it, it just flies off the tasting room because it's a very interesting, very appealing. Uh, new, like I call it, next generation. It's it's a very easy to like, very pleasing blend with a little teeny bit of acidity elevated, but it's, it's, it's amazing when we do the tastings, uh, how much generation X or Generation C or Generation whatever, it, it they always gravitate towards that wine. And then, and then homenaje, that nobody can pronounce except us that speak Spanish. Uh, homenaje means tribute, and it's something that he wanted to do as a tribute to his grandfather. Okay. And he brought Malbec uh, cuttings from Argentina when... Alan uh, spent two years uh, in Argentina, in Mendoza, two different harvests. So he came with this plant, half Malbec, half Cabernet. Nice, nice. And so all these wines, if folks want to get them, you, you guys have a, a website they can purchase the wines on? Is that the best way to go? Yes, viadere.com. Viadere.com, good, good to know. And another question I forgot to ask you guys, what about the next generation? Are there, Delia, are there grandkids in the picture? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> One of the I've, three <laughs> for now. <laughs> yeah, I've got, I've got three kids, two boys and a girl. And ah. they've, since they could walk, they've been involved with Harvest. And the only real time they can see me during the months of September, or October, November is if they come up and... Uh, <laughs> come see me here at the winery so uh, they've been actually now that they're old enough I mean my oldest son is 12 uh, he's been yeah he's been helping he knows how to roll barrels he knows how oh, to good. do punch downs and, and he knows all the you know ins and outs of the pumps and clamps and all that stuff so, that's great uh, fun. they come Starting for bottling early. too but oh, you yeah, know how to stick bottling. labels <laughs> yeah I used to put mine on the bottling line putting capsules on the bottles that they didn't like they liked and, it for about 10 minutes yeah, and, and we had them for my own, the Intentus wines, they do all the, the the capsules and they do all the packaging and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of a family affair. My wife does the labeling and, you know, we, yeah, we've, we've turned it into kind of an education, I guess, as well. Cool. Good for you. <laughs> Work ethic. There you go. Yeah, start them early. Well, listening you two, um, this has been wonderful. Thank you for taking the time and sharing your stories with us. Really, really appreciate it. And good, uh, good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Yeah, it's great. Thank you very much. All right, guys. Be good, and we'll see you around. Thank you, hopefully, Doug. hopefully soon. Take care. I'll see you soon. All right. Thanks. Bye bye. Like I said at the start of this, it's always fun to talk to a family team in the wine business. And with Delia and Alan, their story, while it's rooted here in Napa, goes all over the world. Very cool. It was great to hear their story and learn more about their vineyards and their wines. Be sure to do yourself a favor and track down their wines at viadere.com. Thanks very much for joining us here on The Taste. If you're a fan and would like to help other people find the podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes. Well, that's it for now. We'll see you again next time. 